Daniel Kaplan is a senior associate at Generator Ventures, an investment platform focused at the intersection of aging, senior care, and technology. Daniel holds an MBA and MS in gerontology from the University of Southern California and previously worked in business operations for a digital personal care company. Besides Generator, Daniel is also a mentor for Techstars for their Future of Longevity Accelerator. Hi, Danny. Thanks so much for being on our podcast. Thanks for having me. So um, I'd like to start with, you know, your field of study. So you pursued a joint master's degree, an MS, gerontology, and MBA. Uh, there must be a really special reason and quite some stories behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's see. I grew up with an older father. And, you know, I think that from an, an early age kind of had an appreciation for older adults. Uh, my dad was 58 when I was born. My mom's about 16 years younger than my dad. And, you know, the story of me getting into Jero doesn't really start at grad school. It starts really kind of around the time that I was born. And again, kind of growing up, really being the youngest person in the room at every dinner party, at every birthday party, um, but really kind of playing through to kind of starting my first job out of college where I worked at Deloitte and really, you know, in college, I, I never really thought that, you know, you could work in healthcare um, unless you were a doctor and um, going from Deloitte to the startup world of San Francisco, um, I ended up working at a company that made web-based software for home care agencies and really got my first exposure there to the world of senior care and aging. And when it came time for me to go to grad school, um, I kind of looked around, I'd gotten into a few places and I knew I wanted to stay in California and going to USC just made the most sense. And I looked and I said, wow, they have a program that's all about Jero. This is, this is really cool. This is kind of the future um, and, and, you know, showing up there, I kind of felt like, like I, I knew everything there was to know about senior care and aging. Cause you know, I came from the tech world. I worked at a company that had gotten bought, right? Like I thought I was hot stuff, but really I just knew about private pay, non-medical in-home care, which is not a small piece of the market, but I didn't know the difference between Medicare and Medicaid. And Jero really gave me the education that I that I needed, um, really kind of on payment models, um, various care models, and it kind of gave me the foundation that I have today to I think to be um, you know an effective um, investor and kind of a, a lover of all things um, senior care. Awesome. Um, I think uh, I remember uh, we previously discussed um, there was a special story when uh, you first joined USC and uh, people were a little bit sort of um, quizzical about your choice of joint degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my first day at the MBA program at Marshall, uh, they called us into a big room and it was kind of a way to kind of introduce the MBA class to each other. I think there were uh, 200 something students in my MBA class. And the the admin was standing up there and she was like, you know, there's a lot of people in here who are not just doing an MBA. She was like, there are people in here who are doing JDs too, lawyers. There's people in here who are doing MDs, you know, doctors. Um, and she And she goes, there's, there's someone here doing gerontology and the room was just quiet. And she was like, okay, that's uh, old people. And the whole room just kind of snickered and laughed. And I'm not going to hold it against people there, but I was kind of sitting there and I was like, all right, well, you know, I don't know if these people know this, but there's about 10,000 people that turn 65 every single day. That's just about the most enduring kind of social and business trend that's out there. And as someone who's studying business at a graduate school level, you know, I don't know why you kind of 
look down on that on that path. And to be honest, I kind of used that as motivation during during um, my time at SC. Um, you know, and and when it came time to graduate a couple of years later, um, you know, and I was one of the few people with a job in venture. Um, you know, which I hadn't even thought about. It just, it just kind of happened. Um, people had asked me, God, how'd you, how'd you get that job? Um, I said, yeah, well, remember the first day when everyone laughed at the person who was thinking about old people? Yeah, that's when it all started. So that's my little tale about that. And I think the really interesting aspect is tying back into what you at the very beginning mentioned gerontology is the future. And I think the misunderstanding or the stigma around gerontology or around care giving, caretaking or the older generation silver economy, so on and so forth, whatever you wanted to call it, right? Is this stigma that you're not focused on the future. The future is loosely equating to the younger generation, to the youth, to supporting building for the generation that have many many future generations to continue to living you know in this world and i live in you know silicon valley and every single big tech company when they say they're focused on the future they're focusing on building for the younger generation so i think that is a really interesting kind of shift of mindset and shift of paradigm of what is the future the future is not just the younger folks but also the older generation that are living longer living longer in a healthier kind of way. And like you said, the world is turning older much faster now as well, 10,000 people turning 65. And that is if you're only bucketing silver economy with a 65 you know, demographic. But I would even argue that we should even look broader to the 50 plus yeah. um, generation, right? So maybe do you want to tell us a little more about how did you kind of um, intrinsically uh, buy into this idea that the future is also the older generation and also from an investor's perspective, how does that kind of tie into the way that you're looking at businesses, the business models, the longevity of these businesses? Yeah, it's a really good question. So let's see, I'll try and take it in a couple parts. Um, you know, one, I think that, you know, when you look at the trends, you know, 10,000 people turning 65 every day, now it's almost 12,000. Um, the kind of follow-up stat that not a lot of people are adding in there is that about 80% of those folks, 65 plus, have at least one chronic, you know, disease. And that really is an, is an indicator of what's to come. And what that means is that these folks are going to cost us a lot of money. And it's going to cost us a lot of money, both in terms of us as taxpayers, in terms of us, um, you know, as private payers and families. And it's going to cost us a lot of money that we may never even see, meaning the hidden cost on families, on family caregivers who might have to quit their jobs, um, who might have to, you know, um, be a less involved parent. Um, uh, so that they can take care of their aging parents. Um, so there's a lot of obvious costs and non-obvious costs. Um, and I think when you look at the demographics and you see that, you know, by 2030, people age 65 plus are going to outnumber those ages zero to 18. Um, it, it, you know, that is a huge, that's a huge flip. And, and you really have to kind of start thinking about the world in a different way. And you have to start thinking about both the social care for these individuals and their families and the medical care too. And, um, you know, the fact that healthcare uh, comprises about 20% of GDP, that number is growing. Um, you know, you can think of it almost as 20 cents of, 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 every, of every dollar. Um, you know, in this country is spent on healthcare. There's a tremendous opportunity to make that system better. And kind of with the advent of value-based care, which is, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a, a buzzword for better or for worse, um, there's a tremendous opportunity for, for 
kind of private investors, public investors, and just us as patients to make a lot of money and create a lot of good in the world by reducing the percent of our GDP that we spend on healthcare every single year. Um, and that that is really the opportunity. Um, and again, kind of tying that back to what kind of companies can we be building towards the social care piece? What kinds of companies can we be building towards the medical care piece? Um, so you know that's 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 kind of the kind of initial initial thing that kind of got me excited about this. And of course, my experience, you know, at that company that made web-based software for home care agencies, I really kind of got exposure to one to one side of the market. But by doing Jero, um, you know, it really kind of opened my eyes to Medicaid and the role that managed care plays in Medicaid and Medicare and duels, right? Those eligible for both Medicaid and Medicare, right? So essentially low, low income seniors. Um, you know, the fact that populations like that actually cost us more money to take care of because they are inherently sicker and have higher needs. Um, right. So it, it's 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 it kind of shows you that that there's almost more money to make, more good to do when you take care of 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 sicker, poorer patients and people. And that's 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 it's uh it's kind of incredible. So um, I think I kind of answered the first part of your question. Um, what was the second part? I'm talking here. I forget things. No, that's okay. I mean, I think you kind of like were able to wove into the second part of the question as well, just ultimately about like, what should the these companies look like in terms of when they're focused, when they're shifting their paradigm to include the older generations into this term, their ideology of what future should mean should should stand for and, and a subsequent question as a follow-on to that would be what do you find so far as like how do you find the whole startup landscape of um of companies that are um focused on building for the silver economy you know kind of like going back to that uh funny moment at the first day of mba school when you're the only person um you know even focused on this you know, the difficult part, you know, from my personal VC background is deal sourcing, deal flow, right? How have you seen an increased amount of companies or increased amount of ambitious, capable entrepreneurs jumping into this space and sharing this vision that all of us are seeing right now and building for the silver economy? Or do you feel like we're still kind of like at the very beginning um, we're still kind of like um, Elon jump, uh, like at the very beginning part of seeing this trend, and then there still need to be more people start building for it, and need to be more company. Like, where do we currently stand right now from a deal flow perspective and capable startup perspective building for the silver economy from yeah, your point yeah. of view? Yeah. So let's see. I want to tackle just the 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 first part of the question too. Um, look, I think that kind of what the future has to look like, I think it, I think the future has to be built in such a way that it's more inclusive and more adaptive. And that's both in a digital experience and a physical experience. Um, you know, I took a class in grad school where we looked at kind of environmental modifications and, and I, and I, I love that, you know, it's the whole idea of, you know, putting grab bars in bathrooms and ramps over, you know, um, a staircase or a bulb at the end of a sidewalk to make it easier, you know, to, you know, to cross the road. Um, you know, that is kind of inclusive design. Um, another way of saying it would be age-friendly design. And I think that the way that digital products are designed, and I think the way that our physical environment is, is built and designed, um, I think that that ultimately is going to have to change um, in order for us to to create a world that is truly easier to age in, and and that is truly easier to 
uh, navigate as an older adult. And what's kind of funny is it helps everybody, right? It, it actually makes it easier for everybody to live their life. Um, you know, I mean, having a grab bar in the bathroom, it's, that's not a, that's not a, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It actually makes the bathroom easier to use uh, and safer for everybody. Um, one small caveat that I'd add in there, particularly on kind of digital experiences is, you know, when we think about kind of older adults and technology, I think a lot of people are thinking about the oldest old. So, you know, age 85 plus. Um, and, you know, those folks are, you know, those, they, they are not digital natives. However, the boomers are kind of the ones who created, you know, kind of the, you know, the early iterations of, 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 of coding that got us to this point in the tech world. And, you know, you could argue that they are digital natives because they're kind of the, you know, the grandfathers of, of tech. Um, and I think that a lot of boomers now are, are a lot more comfortable using tech. My, my, my mother was born in 1946. Um, so she's, you know, kind of like the oldest, you know, the oldest uh, kind of cohort of the boomers. She's, she's, she's 75 turning 76 soon, um, or 77. I don't know. Um, and you know, she's, she, she's used a laptop since the early nineties. Uh, she's used a cell phone since the, you know, mid, uh, nineties. So, um, she's definitely someone who I could see being more comfortable using tech as she ages and she's doing that now, um, to get back to kind of the second part of your question. Uh, the evolution of, you know, the longevity economy. Um, uh, very, very um, encouraged by what I'm seeing here. Um, I think that in the early days, um, there were only a few companies that were focused on this um, portion of the market. I think that you could look at you know, from a consumer products, you know, you've got OXO, you've got Jitterbug, right? Those are kind of like the earliest ones. Um, you know, there's plenty of kind of, you know, some medical practices that, you know, were founded that slowly evolved to, you know, kind of serving older adults like one medical, um, you know, but I, I, I think that kind of starting around 2017, 2018, I think we saw kind of the quality of founder, the quality of, of tech being built, the quality of opportunity, the quality of, of founding team and executive team and quality of investor syndicate just really increasing when it, when it came to this area. And that's, to me, I kind of felt like it's due to a couple reasons. Um, first and foremost, you know, to go back to, we've got 12,000 people turning 65 every single day. When that happens day, day after day, um, you know, more people are going to start to pay attention to it and more people are going to have experiences with their parents and grandparents where they say, man, there has to be a better way. Um, I think that, you know, kind of along, you know, you know, in that same vein, I think you've got kind of this first wave of successful digital health companies. Teladoc, Livongo, the Amwells of the world, um, right? You know, Cano and, you know, the guys over at Oak, you know, it, it, there are people who have done well in these companies, both as investors and early stage you know, founders and and um, executives there who are coming out of these companies now and starting new companies. And a lot of them are choosing to focus on older adults and senior care. Um, and so, I mean, that that's 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 kind of why I think that, you know, I'm I'm really starting to interact with some really quality founders and really, you know, working on some really incredible companies. Um, I also think that as kind of value-based payment models and value and kind of value-based care models have been increasingly adopted, um, uh, whether that's voluntary adoption or forced adoption in certain, you know, kind of 
sectors and subsectors of the healthcare world, I think that's also drawn kind of more founders who are interested in starting both tech and tech-enabled services businesses, um, you know, to this sector. Along, you know, and at the same time, there's kind of a proliferation of venture funds that are focused on this area. And that's that's exciting. Um, Generator closed its first fund in August 2016. Um, to my knowledge, I think we were the, I think um, the second venture fund that was founded that was, you know, hyper-focused and 100% dedicated to investing at this intersection of senior care and tech. Uh, the first one was the Ziegler Linkage Fund. Um, you know, and since then you've seen a, plenty of other funds pop up that are really focused on this area. You know, you've got Primetime Partners, um, that's Abby Levy and Alan Pat Patrickoff from uh, from uh, from Apex and uh, Graycroft, I think. Um, you've got Third Act, then uh, Third Act Ventures. Uh, you've got Magnify, which is focused on older adults and children. You've got 1843 cap, uh, Capital, and you've got Cake Ventures too. And, and all of these funds are really kind of focused at the intersection of senior care and tech or kind of care and, 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 and tech. Um, you know, then you can take a step back and kind of look at kind of the top tier digital health VC funds that have made um, bets to the tunes of, you know, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars in the kind of aging uh, senior care world, uh, NEA, Deerfield Oak, uh, Alley Corp, Town Hall, Optum Ventures, Blair Capital, um, you know, I, I think the list goes on. One level up, you've got kind of the private equity world, there's Welsh Carson, there's Warburg, all of these companies, they might not have dedicated funds, but there are people on their teams whose sole focus is to invest at the intersection of the senior care and tech, whether that's in payer provider world or kind of in more social care or in innovative care models um, like PACE, um, a prime example being Innovage, um, which came out of Welsh, Welsh Carson, um, you know, the, this, the, I, I think that the increase in firms uh, focused on this space and the increase in capital focused on this, um, fo uh, focused on seniors has drawn better founders to this space. So let's maybe spend a little bit more time to talk about from your point of view and from the your ex past experience as both an operator and also an investor, how would you describe um, the founders that you're seeing in this space and what would make them a high quality one versus an average one? And what type of founders would typically be drawn into the silver economy space or the age tech space? And I would imagine this must be a really interesting um, type of people because um, you probably won't get a lot of 65 year old or 80 year old to create a product for their own generation. We're probably gonna be talking more about younger generations anticipating the needs and creating something for the, their future selves or for, for their parents or for their grandparents. Um, from your point of view, what are some of the traits or qualities that you have seen that make these founders, number one, passionate about the space and number two, make them great founders? And then maybe talk a little more about what are the, some of the biases or uh, disadvantages or some of the uh, pitfalls that these founders were, early, especially early stage founders, will fall into as they're creating something that they not for themselves uh, necessarily. Yeah. So, I mean, I think when it comes to traits about great founders, I think, you know, you look for someone who has the ability, who has the ability to build a great team and someone who really knows what they don't know. Um, right. I think founders who have the ability to, when you ask them a question, say, I don't know. I love that. Um, right. I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily a weakness. Um, 
for the most part, you know, because our focus is on technology and technology enabled services that are kind of B2B and B2B2C, most of the founders and most of the companies that we're interacting with have, have a go-to-market through the healthcare system, broadly defined. Um, to get a little more specific, that typically means Medicare and Medicaid. To get a little more specific after that, that means either, um, you know, typically through managed care. So Medicaid, um, uh, MCOs, or Medicare Advantage plans. Um, <clears throat> so with that said, I mean, a lot of these founders outside of, you know, them being kind of honest, empathetic, um, you know, and, and, and um, kind of capable of building really good teams. A lot of them come from the healthcare world. If they don't come from the healthcare world, they have dedicated a year or two to learn about it. Some of those folks have really come at us with fresh points of view, I think, on how to do things in a different way. Whereas folks who come from the healthcare world are either stuck in their ways or because they know it so well, they have an idea for truly how to make it better and how to find the dollars to pay for it. Um, and finding the dollars to pay for it, I think, has historically been one of the top challenges facing founders and companies in this space. Um, I think that, you know, there are companies you know, that are making wearables and, you know, tablets for older adults and things like that. And, and when you really look at the go-to-market, um, the cost of acquiring a customer, the cost of finding and targeting and acquiring an older adult, typically on the internet, um, is it's, it's, it's too high. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to find those people. Um, furthermore, it can be difficult to find their caregivers if you're selling your product to those folks. Um, and so that's why, uh, you know, the, the, the go-to-markets that we've been seeing have really been through the healthcare system, whether that's, um, you know, a tool sold to um, a managed care plan or a supplemental benefit um, or, you know, a new kind of, uh, you know, uh, pro, uh, a new kind of doctors like practice or care model um, you know, it's, it, it typically has to do with healthcare because there are, because there's money in the system to pay for things like this. Um, and so that's, that's really kind of what we've seen in terms of the founders and in terms of, um, go to markets. Um, and I mean, look, I think that some people have had kind of personal experiences, um, you know, caring for either their parents or their grandparents. Um, you know, and, and it's either a personal experience where it's a family member or it's a personal experience sitting at their desk, looking at the numbers and saying, wow, there has to be a better way to do this. And I have an idea for how to do that. Um, you know, I, I think one of the companies, and I don't want to talk about specific companies on this, on this podcast, but I will talk about these guys because I know you know them, the two the the Sue brothers from um, Scene Health, you know these like these guys are like they're tech guys, right? Like you know they're from Uber, right? You know they're 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 tech people, and um, you know for them it was hey look let's let's uh, let's quit our job. We don't we don't really feel connected to the mission. And let's think about what we what we want to do next. And let's look at the experience of our grandparents and of our own parents. And you know, let's think about kind of what happens to older adults back home in China. And kind of think about that in comparison with how we treat older adults here in the United States. And these guys went really deep and they decided that, hey, we want to do something in 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 pace, which is a very niche, very, very um it's a technical model of you know care it's 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 complicated um but they've devoted the last year and a half to basically becoming experts and um 
you know, and doing it. And, and it's, it's amazing because when I met them, they're thinking about building tech for Pace and then, oh, wait, maybe we should be doing the services too. And to watch their journey where I was telling them everything that I knew about Pace, which is really kind of a mile wide and maybe half an inch deep to where these guys are essentially experts now. Um, it's amazing. And it's, and it's just, it's just not something that, that, that I think I would have seen a couple of years back. Um, and I think that's really a testament to the kind of qualities that those guys have. Yeah, they don't come from the healthcare world, but they are inquisitive. They are intelligent. They are tenacious and they don't have any ego at all, right? If they're wrong on something, you can let them know and they'll figure out why and they'll go find the you know the right answer um and i mean i think that those are the kinds of qualities that we really look for in founders now i think the pitfalls the second part of your question here the pitfalls are numerous um i think that correlation and causation is one of them um to expand on that a little bit if you're selling a product to the healthcare system particularly to managed care plans, otherwise known as insurance companies, um, you really have to show that your product works. And you have to show that it works in such a way that paying X amount of dollars leads to Y amount of savings. And, you know, it's, it's, it's as simple and as complicated as that. And I think that a lot of people will think, oh, well, you know, if we have older adults do balance exercises or you know if they just call their friends once a week via our service or what have you they're not going to fall or they're going to feel a lot less you know um isolated and you know in theory that that might be that that might be true or that might make sense but but in practice um you have to be able to quantify the benefit that your company brings to older adults and to the the entity that's actually paying for the product or service. Now, that is something that I've seen a lot of founders come to us with, where, hey, I have an idea, or I'm doing a pilot, or I talked to a couple of customers or potential customers or potential users, and they absolutely loved it. And, you know, I'm going to start a company and give me money um you know sometimes you kind of have to say hey this is healthcare you're selling to the healthcare system and you need more data you need an evidence base and you know so i've seen a lot of founders kind of raise money try and you know sell into health systems or health plans or providers or what have you not get traction really and then have to turn around raise more money um and then go do like a study right and that could take six to 12 months and and you know there has to be a meaningful end and a control group and an intervention group etc so um i think that underestimating the uh, complexity of the system and and the type of data that you need to really show the system that it's worth paying for something like this um, that is a pitfall that I've seen. Um, I've also seen folks kind of on the opposite side come from the healthcare system and just redesign um, a better way of doing something, but not really, not really an innovative way of doing doing uh, something. Um, that's kind of not necessarily thinking outside of the box, but thinking kind of still inside the box, but you know, not really building something that's going to make a big difference um, or that's going to be a big company. Um, and I think that kind of their knowledge of healthcare in that case can kind of hold them back. And so that's why I think I really like to look for teams where, you know, if everybody comes from the healthcare system, you want to look for someone who's also kind of like a radical, creative, innovative thinker who's also being kind of like, for lack of a better term, almost held back by someone who's more grounded in the way things work. I think that that's really an interesting kind of relationship 
Um, and I've seen it work a lot better than people who are just, you know, kind of trying to create a better, uh, you know, mouse uh, uh, trap. Um, so, I mean, I think there's that. And then, yeah, I, 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 I think that, you know, I kind of already talked about it, but just to kind of hammer at home like i think that the people who come from outside of healthcare um you know and are and are trying to do this because they see senior care as a really big market um underestimating um kind of the the difficulty of selling and creating a, a really good go to market in the healthcare system or outside of that um trying to build a consumer focused company which I don't think that that's a folly. I think it's really hard. And I think it's been very difficult to build that first kind of really successful D2C company um, in senior care. Um, I, I think that some people kind of say, oh, well, this is a big market. Older adults have a lot of money, uh, which is true and not true. Um, you know, let's build a purpose-built product that will sell directly to them. I have yet to see a company that's really crushing it there. That doesn't mean that I don't think one will be built. I just think that, you know, it's that company um, is, 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 you know, that's, that's going to be a long, a long fight. It's worth it. We may not fund you because we don't know much about that go to market, but um, you know, I, 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 um, I encourage founders to take a very thoughtful approach to building products for this market, both in B2B, B2B2C, and D2C uh, models. I think it's really interesting to kind of being able to analyze all the successful companies or all the companies that are in progress, you know, at the very, very, really early stage of the building process to look at what are, the, what are, what are some of the successful templates that they can apply versus what are some of the new potential areas that they could innovate and create? Because after all, what a startup is, is creating something new and breaking the mold and then having successful template. And I think, the difficulty would be how can you convince investors and convince other people that for something that has never existed in the past, that this will work. And I think, you know, the lack of a DTC successful company, the lack to the lack of a social related kind of entertainment type of place where we know that healthcare are probably not going to pay for it, but then how do we potentially find an angle where we can focus on when people are not in need of a care, when people are healthy, when people are um, not suffering from an illness and needing a solution right away, but more so kind of uh, like a different kinds of, different kinds of social kind of related platform, I think is, is yet to be seen. And which is why I think a lot of the successful companies in this space are focused on the finding the monetization strategy through the healthcare, the health, uh, health plans which is where big chunks of money are out there. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's, we're still at the very early stage of the server economy and there are so many different interesting models that could potentially pop up. So, which makes this space very exciting um, area to, to focus on. And, um, and I wanted to talk a little more about the go-to-market strategies because you mentioned about the Sue Brothers and they have a very unique and targeted focus on the Chinese speaking um, older generations. And I think that in and of itself for some other venture capitalists where investors might think that it's too small of a market. How do you think about having like a beachhead type of strategy of you know finding that, that hook, finding that small group as go to market and then slowly expand um, versus thinking too broad and, and too, you know, too long-term and too far and wide and then losing a focus. What have you seen as successful uh, GTM so far? And what are some of the um, uh, downsides that you have seen that could, that could happen for, you know, especially the relatively younger generations building for this humongous older generation? Because you also even mentioned, when we say older generation, people tend to focus on the 85 without realizing people in their 50s and 60s and 70s want very different things. And the 65 year old 
Asian versus 65 year old white male might want very different things as well. Like how, what does that market segmentation look like and how does it go to market strategy could be a, what are some of the interesting, I guess, go to market strategies that you have seen out there that you think are, um, are good kind of case studies for our listeners to, uh, to learn about? That's a lot. Um, so I think that for the for the Sue brothers um, at Scene Health, what I like about that is that, you know, they're really kind of building a culturally focused pace organization. And just a quick rundown on what PACE is. It stands for Program for All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly. Um, it's, it is, uh, you know, folks who are eligible for it are duals. So they're eligible for Medicare and Medicaid. They're low income, poor seniors, um, who typically would otherwise be in a nursing home. So these are high acuity, high cost, high needs patients. Um, and the fact that they would otherwise be in a nursing home means that they're aging in place. Uh, so they're aging at home. Um, now, you know, there's about 12 million duals in this country. There's about, I don't know, don't quote me on it, maybe in between three and four million, I think, that are eligible for, for PACE. And total PACE enrollment right now is like 65,000 people. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's very small. That's not to say that the market size is small. It's just to say that total PACE enrollment is really small. And there's a variety of reasons for why that is. Uh, it's capital intensive, uh, there's a real estate aspect, there's a transportation aspect. Um, it's not just a doctor and a nurse, it's a real interdisciplinary team. Um, you know, in the program, you know, they're taking total cost of care risk. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot that has to be done when you're running a pay sword. You're almost running like a mini health plan for really, really sick, homebound, low income seniors. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to do really well, uh, both for those seniors and their families and for yourself too, which is really neat. So, you know, what they're doing by, by taking it a step further, you know, healthcare is about humans. Healthcare is about humans taking care of other humans. They're the technology that they're trying to build is, really more so not to, you know, they're trying to automate certain back office functions. They're trying to make it easier to free up doctors and other providers to, to actually focus on providing care to the patient as opposed to like spending their time in the EMR, right? So like, this is, this is exciting. And, you, you know, the certain market that they are targeting to actually launch in and, you know, with the kind of population predominantly being Mandarin speaking duels, um, you know, like this is, this is, this is exciting because they're incorporating an, an element of their patient's humanity and, and what makes them who they are. Um, they're incorporating that element into their care model. Now the care model is being built so I can't really say specifically what they are doing, but you can think of it, it has everything to do with um, signage, right? So, you know, it's going to be, I think, in Mandarin first and then English, um, everything, you know, that through, you know, what kind of food they're serving folks, right? Um, they're trying to make this an inviting place where people can come in, receive care, both medical and social care. And, you know, they're really kind of taking re really a personalized approach to treating a specific population of individuals, as opposed to taking, you know, kind of a one size fits all, where they say that, you know, hey, look, like culture and your background doesn't really matter in the context of how we deliver your medical and social care, but it, de it definitely does. So, I don't know, I think... I think that that, I think that that's really um, like exciting, and I can't say whether or not their go-to-market is successful or not. I have a hunch, um, kind of like those founders who have a hunch with no data. Um, I have a hunch that I think it'll do very well, 
And when I say very well, I think that means both in terms of the kind of enrollment that they're going to get um, and the kind of savings that they could generate for the healthcare system. So ultimately delivering care at a, at a, at a, at a lower cost per member than, um, than would otherwise be, be uh, the case. Um, and I think that part of that success is going to be in part two due to the technology that they build and how they use it and the approach that, that, that they're taking by, by kind of treating, um, treating, treating patients with, you know, kind of a cultural lens first, um, and a medical lens second. Um, and I think that's exciting. So, um, you know, in terms of other kind of successful go-to-markets, I think kind of what defines the the companies that I think are going to succeed the most is a deep understanding of their of the customers' needs. Right? If you look at probably the first, and I, they weren't the first unicorn in this space, but probably the first well-known unicorn that was that was out there in public saying, "Hey." we exist to serve older adults you know that i think that's that's papa and andrew there has done a has done a really tremendous job of saying hey look so there's there's like this non-medical private pay home care world that's providing both personal care and companionship it's private pay it's not built for the healthcare system it's built for seniors and their families to pay out of pocket to have a caregiver come over and help them with ADLs and companionship and what have you. Now, he he astutely noticed and realized that you know laws were changing and Medicare Advantage plans were getting more leniency um, in terms of what what they could reimburse for, and that companionship was one of those things. So rather than building Papa as just a big tech-enabled home care agency, um, he built Papa as a companionship first service that was built to partner with Medicare Advantage plans. And the capabilities that he built allowed him to sell to MA plans faster. He did a study at UCLA, I think, that really kind of showed that regular interactions with a Papa Pell reduced the the I think it's the UCLA loneliness index, I think, or something like that. Um, so, so, so he came armed with data. He came armed with reporting and billing that health plans, the managed care world knew and that they could process and that they could fit into their work, you know, below. And um, I think that part of this was because Andrew came from the healthcare world. Um, you know, so he had an idea of how these health plans worked. Um, so I think he kind of took that approach to building Papa. He's saying, hey, we're building it with an end goal to provide companionship to older adults, but the go-to-market is distinctly different. It's through Medicare Advantage plans and the tech that we're building and just the mechanics of our business is going to be built to partner with MA plans. And that's what he's done. And it's working really, really well. Um, other successful go-to-markets that I've seen, really, it revolves around having an understanding of the customer's business. And I think that that's something that can sometimes be lost on entrepreneurs, particularly coming out of like Silicon Valley, where the motto there is, you know, it's kind of like move fast and break things, right? And you know, we're the gods of tech and we're the gods of venture capital and what we build, um, you know, is, is, is the end all be all, um, you know, that, that, that dynamic doesn't work for this kind of market. Um, if you're selling your product into, you know, a nursing home, you have to understand that their margins are really tiny, sometimes negative. Um, you have to understand their day-to-day -day challenges. You can't just build a piece of software and say, use this. Um, you have to have an idea and you have to spend time with your future customers getting to really know their business and almost co-designing 
your product alongside them. Um, you know, that's how you really build something that has beyond just go to market, a successful go to market that really has, you know, kind of um, product market fit, right? Um, one of the questions that I ask customers when I do diligence on, you know, customers, um, you know, is I'll ask them, I'll say, hey, you know, what, what would happen if this company just went away tomorrow, right? And if someone's like, ah, you know, I, I just keep doing what I was doing uh, before, which is, you know, I just copy and paste this into this text box and hit submit, you know, and it wouldn't be a big deal, right? You're like, okay, well, you know, yeah, they're solving a problem, but it's not really a super important problem. If the customer says, well, I would go find a replacement immediately, and you know that that they're getting a lot of value out of the product or service. And you know that that product or service is really solving a key business problem. And, um, you know, those are the kinds of companies that we want to go deeper on. And almost always, it's because the founding team and the folks who are building the product really understand their customer's business. And they aren't building, you know, you know, a hammer and looking for a nail. You know, they, 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 they know where the nails are. They know, you know, how deep they need to be hammered in. They know if those nails are rusty or shiny and new, right? And they, they really have an understanding of the customer's business. And that, that is something that I think is really shared by all successful companies in this uh, field. So Danny, um, with all the insights and knowledge that you have gathered as an operator and investor in the age tech space, what's gonna be next for you? So what I'm gonna be working on is I'm going to be working on launching a new firm, uh, a new fund with a couple of my partners uh, that's going to be focused on supporting founders and early teams uh, building in age tech. Uh, the work uh, will go on at uh, Generator Ventures. Um, we are on a number of boards. I will be there and I will be um, launching a new fund here in the next couple of months, I hope, um, to keep doing seed and um, you know, Series A investments in B2B and B2B2C uh, companies that are operating in the age tech world. I'm very excited about it. That does sound like a very, very exciting news. And thank you so much for continuing to do amazing work, helping supporting companies in this space and um, helping to build the silver economy. So really appreciate your time today, Danny. And uh, we will be in touch very shortly. Excellent. And thanks for having me. This was awesome. Yeah,